Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Ben Cash, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You're the CEO of a company called Reason One, and the website is Reason One Inc., all spelled out, dot com. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, you have a B Corporation that is now virtual because of the pandemic of some years ago. Tell us a little bit about what Reason One does and how the heck you got the idea of starting a digital agency to serve serve it mainly nonprofits. Sure. Um, well, um, again, thanks for having me on the show today and uh, as is enjoying the conversation, uh, looking forward to it. Um, I, you know, I... Um, I started the the business about 23 years ago, really just to support my music habit. <laughs> I'm being honest. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I was looking for a creative outlet that was, you know, that would pay better. And, and, uh, um, and I, I found, uh, you know, calling in, in digital because much like music, the technique serves the creativity. And um, I got to solve interesting problems and figure out the technology to, to support those ideas and that's how I approached digital. And that got me a, a, a fair direction, you know, a fair way into successful business over the years. Um, but at a certain point, you know, kind of found myself wanting more, um, or, or I should say making more of an impact. And, you know, we'd work with nonprofits and healthcare and and uh, a number of organ- types of organizations over the years. And... Um, <clears throat> When we actually, I think the, the 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 culminating moment was a merger that we went through. There was a it was I was running an agency in the U.S. I'd met some colleagues in in Canada. And we merged our agencies together to sort of have a bigger North American footprint, and we actually had a lot of similar clientele. And a lot of that was nonprofits, um, impact organizations, healthcare uh, so, associations, etc. And the challenge of a merger is that when you come together, you have two different competing visions, often two different playbooks, all these different things. And so one of my one of my requirements for the merger was if we're going to merge, we're going to have to rebrand and set a new name and a new mission. Right. So that our collective team had a new flag to to charge towards. And. When we looked at our we didn't we you know, there's that sort of balance between dressing for the job you want, but also looking at what your own DNA is, right? And I think for a while we tried to dress for the job we wanted and it just it just didn't it didn't feel right, right? It just didn't fit. And you know, we then we looked inward, looked at our DNA. What what were we already doing that was making an impact? Where did we get excited to come to work? What was what was the work that we really um relished? And it was the nonprofit work. It was in work with healthcare. It was working with uh, helping those who do good do better, right? And so 
around that time, we were also sort of questioning what our own impact was in our industry and larger community in the world. And we were curious about the B Corp movement. And I had an awesome colleague at the time who was like, we should become a B Corp. So all of those things culminated in the rebranding of Reason One and this, the, the planting of a new flag of using our business as a force for good, both through the impact we make through the clients that we work with, but also in the things that we invest with, the way that we treat our people, the way that we treat the planet. Uh, and that was the B Corp path. And um, so that's that's kind of how we came to that from a marketing perspective. It makes a lot of sense <laughs> running a business and focusing in on a vertical, right? And I learned that the hard way because we used to be, like a lot of the agencies, we were tied to a particular platform and that was sort of how our leads came in and, and, and we were dependent on that. And if you had a pulse and a budget and you weren't an asshole, excuse my French, uh, you know, we, we would take you on as a client. But that was really hard uh, as time went on because in the early days, it was like fish jumping in a boat. But as more and more competitors came along, you really had to carve a path and you had to be niche. And so once we decided to plant a flag with healthcare associations and nonprofits, things got a lot more straightforward. It got, became easier to lead, became easier to focus. Um, and really the most important lesson was that we built community um, because it wasn't just about a marketing, you know, segmenting for marketing and sort of just focusing on this one audience. We realized that we actually were able to align ourselves with our ideal customers, with their industry and understanding the pain points that they were having. Um, and then building relationships with others who were focusing in on that community. And it was really less about segmentation and positioning and more about community building. And it was such a, such a wonderful thing to find others who were also passionate about helping those who do good, do better. And, uh, you know, we haven't looked back. We're Every chance we get, every annual planning, every quarterly planning is all about leaning in and, um, you know, in, into where we're going. But That's a long answer to your questions. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful answer because, I mean, think of it, 23 years. That means you started this thing back in 2000, dot-com bust. Yeah. Internet hardly wasn't even going yet. It had been going for since 93, but barely public for oh, yeah. four years. And the whole concept of web design and HTML was those were foreign words to just about everybody. Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, you know, there was no you couldn't YouTube <laughs> look on YouTube <laughs> how to do something. You know, you, no. there, there were no degree programs in it. There was no it was, you know, and, and the irony was a lot of the people who were doing it and who I learned from and actually who I hired were musicians because huh. the musicians were creative problem solvers, very self-disciplined practicing very, you know, like, uh, and, and, uh, and so, and also financially <laughs> starving, so job, right. had, had time, had time to, 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 to work on it. So, you know, that's, those are the people, the, the, those curious, hardworking people who just figured out how to do it. If you could find a book, great. If you couldn't, you just ask, you called somebody up, hey, how, how did you figure this out? Or you just bought the software and you tinkered and you experimented until you got it to work. Mm -hmm. But like I said, what was different was there were a lot of people doing that, but they were very focused on the, the technical aspects. And if you realize that technology is a tool to accomplish an to, instant mean, right? Or means to an end, then you figured out how to use that technology for the end goal rather than just technology right. for technology's sake. Right. I remember back in those days, I mean, it was I learned quickly that 
when you're when in those days you you had to have three disciplines you had to have graphic design you had to have content and you had to have the technical knowledge to put all the graphic design and content into a yeah. visually appealing accessible space yeah. online and today of course it's much much easier to do that than it was then um but quite the challenge so yeah. now you've been in this business for 23 years you're helping good companies do better i love that is, is that your tagline uh, helping those who do do good do better. It's been it's been one for a while. We're 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 in the process of sharpening it a bit. Well, it's that's a good one. What Thanks. is it that gets you up in the morning today that, that gets you really excited? Um, you know, uh, I mean, there's our industry is constantly changing. There, you never want for new things to sink your teeth into, new things to learn. Uh, you know. I think the realization for me, even, you know, with, with, even with AI coming in and just sort of disrupting everything, and especially the, like our healthcare clients, they're in like a constant state of disruption and, and uh, changes to the markets um, that human behavior, change management, uh, you know, um, those are the things that are always going to be around as long as humans are part of the people process and technology or the equation, Right. right? There is always a need for getting the right behaviors, figuring out how to change, how to solve the human aspect of that, right? And look, we've been in this business for a long time. We understand the technology, the design, the content, the optimization, the data, the analytics. Like those are, we've got people on staff that really love those things. Uh, but if we just focused on those things, we'd be a commodity like everybody else, right? Because those things are being outsourced. AI is doing them. There's tools that are replacing the tools of yesterday and to, of tools of today. So while you have to, well, the baseline is to provide those services in a, in, a, in a strong integrated way, it's really about helping people map their future, aligning with stakeholders, figuring out the obstacles to change uh, and being there long-term to, to help them execute on that change, right? And that to me is the one constant that will always be there, regardless of all the stuff around us that is constantly in change. Uh, it's, it's really interesting that you should say that because as a peacemaker, a person who has studied human conflict deeply and practiced as a mediator and peacemaker for many years, that's what I see too. I see all this froth around us, chat GPT, whatever it might be, but fundamentally, the human person, the hum, our human uh, in our humanity, we still have the same fundamental behaviors, attitudes, reactions, emotions that we've always had. It's just that they're in the context of a different, in a, a more technical world than not. But at the end of the day, it's responding to that humanity that becomes more important than anything else. For sure, and, and I think a lot of people miss that in leadership. Yeah, there's a there's a concept I love. Uh, sort of a construct. There's a uh, if you've ever read the book um, Brave New Work, uh, Aaron Dignan, phenomenal book. Uh, but he talks about the difference between complicated and complex. Yeah. And complicated is there's an it's like an engine. There's an ideal state at which uh, you know it will operate efficiently. And in technology and a lot of things, you can build things and you can create things uh, in you know uh, design and and technology and content. You can get to a pretty ideal state. But once you insert humans into that model, it, be it, it becomes complex 
it's like the weather. There are so many things influencing you, you. There's no way to simply solve for it. So you have to accept and operate with that complexity in mind. Uh, and I think that's maybe that relates to, you know, that there is no perfect solution. There's no cookie cutter thing that you can apply to everyone. Right. And I think a lot of agencies, a lot of professionals and service organizations, they come with that hammer. Right. Everything's right. Right. But if you recognize the difference between complicated and complex, you realize, especially when humans are involved, that you've got to be thoughtful about how you approach things and, and ask questions and listen and, and and figure out, you know, how to really uh, tailor things. Exactly. Hence, hence the name of the show, Listening with Leaders. Yeah. I think listening is the is the foundational skill of all leadership. It's the foundational skill of all relationships. And isn't it interesting that we're, that we're never taught how to listen? We know. Pick up listening, sort of hearing, but there is no structured curriculum on this is these are the different kinds of listening. And this is when you use one kind of listening and this is how you go about doing it. And here's another kind of listening. And here's why you would want to do that and, and when you would want to do it. And yet it's it's foundational and yet it's completely ignored. It, yeah, there's there's no muscle memory for it. It is. Uh, <laughs> I struggle with it. Constantly, I'm sure you ask the people around me, and <laughs> they would say the same, right? I, uh, you know, it's it's hard, and I, I've look, I've I've read the advice trap, I've read uh, any number of books about listening and asking questions, and uh, and the great book Leadership is Language by I think David Marquette, phenomenal book, um, you know, talks about share of voice, um, and you know, and I, I read all these books, and just but knowing. Doesn't translate to That's doing right. often, right? That's exactly and, right. Yeah. And exactly uh, you can have intellectual knowledge about the importance of listening, but unless you have a set of skills that somebody can teach you that allows you to translate that intellectual knowledge into actual action. Yeah, it just remains intellectual. That's yeah. and that's I think maybe that's the gap that I bridge because I teach people what I teach is I teach people how to ignore the words and listen to the emotions. And when you do that, it's a different kind of listening. And when you do that, number one, you don't, you never, you never get bored. So you're always focused. Two, you never forget what the words are because all memory is associated with emotion. And three, you have the ability to give somebody a deep gift of validation, what I call listening another person into existence. Yeah. And, and I found this to be an extraordinary skill that really helps people learn how to listen in a very different way. Uh, and it's given me great joy because I've, from training murderers in prison to be peacemakers to working at the congression yeah. budget office teaching analysts how to de-escalate members of Congress. I mean, <laughs> sure. it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you? Uh, what do you? I'm just curious because it's something I've you know thought about. What like for you? What is the definition of empathy? Empathy is the ability to um, read, assimilate, interpret and reflect back the emotional experience of another human being. And there are two kinds of empathy, cognitive empathy and affective empathy. Cognitive empathy is the ability to watch somebody have an emotional experience and put words onto those emotions and then tell people you are angry or you're frustrated. That's cognitive empathy, which is what I teach. When you develop, when you practice cognitive empathy for a while, usually within a couple of months, then you move into what's known as affective empathy. And in affective empathy, I can watch you and I can feel what you're feeling. And then all I have to do is tell you what I'm feeling because that's what you're feeling. 
And so I'm relying on my brain's ability to quickly interpret what you're experiencing. And then I can reflect back to you very accurately what you're experiencing. What am I experiencing, Doug? Right now, you're, cur <laughs> you're, you're curious. Oh, Ben, you're really curious and you're kind of excited. <laughs> and, and you're a little intrigued by all of this. Yeah, sure. So you, you, once you get it, it's really easy to, to do it. Yeah. It, it's extremely powerful. So you've been doing this for for twenty three years. How what what's next? What do you you keep doing it? Do you you have yeah you know every every uh, I don't know five ten years I kind of gonna go you know gosh can I do this can I ante up again and um you know I I think um I. Or maybe how do I answer that question? Maybe more about just the the concept of change for me, right? It's it's um, I've sort of had a relationship with it over the years. You know, I think early on when I was switching from music to um, to digital, you know, I had this fear of change because I, my whole identity was wrapped up in being a musician, there you go. right? And that prevented me from change for a long time, and sort of sort of feared that loss of identity or loss of success or what have you. And, and then got into it, realized that was doable. And, and then, you know, after a number of years realized, through, especially through the digital industry, sort of had to embrace change. And then I realized that I had, it wasn't just a matter of embracing it and kind of like accepting it. You actually had to create it. Um, and so that was, you know, that was when was, you know, five years ago, uh, did the merger, merge my agency with another agency, set a new vision, et cetera. Um, you know, and then we went through a pandemic. So it's like, we, we started the merger, oh, hey, there's a pandemic and then all the stuff that didn't ensued after. Right. And went, and went fully remote and just like the amount of change is like, <laughs> hold on, <laughs> right? hold my beer. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, so in that, you know, I, I've had some really low moments, right? And it's just some, some times when I thought I, I can't do this anymore. And my, you know, now business partner, you know, like we have just had some really tough conversations on the phone, right? And, um, but we always pick ourselves up, you know, in the words of Ted Lasso, be a goldfish, right? Uh, and, and we just kind of, you know, pick ourselves up. And then, and then it's like, as long as we've got a place to go and we got people on board who are excited about where we're going, uh, it's amazing how quickly you can recover. Um, and I think, you know, having a shared reason for your business existing, uh, setting a clear vision, uh, I think those are things, you know, because you have to be moving towards something. One of the things that I noticed about your business is that you're really big on um, inclusion and bringing in young people, maybe people who are young people who are disadvantaged, people of color, or just disadvantaged and working with them. Tell us a little bit about how you manage that. Sure. Um, well, our industry has a uh, diversity problem, right? And there are marginalized communities that that are not, ref you know, who are uh, that our industry traditionally has kept out um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and you know, when we became a B Corp. Um, it changed the way that we looked at things that looked at problems, looked at our industry, our community. And so when we would find, discover something, we had to ask ourselves, how are we going to show up? How are we going to, you know, um, react and, and, and try to change. And, you know, I think for us, it was during the pandemic and the, 
murder of George Floyd. And, you know, uh, we, we, you know, we, in the moment we're like, how are we going to show up and, and support this community? And, you know, uh, just the statistics of our industry, we're like, you know, we, we have to help bridge this gap in the technology industry. And so we decided to, to create a scholarship and mentorship um, program. Uh, we're in our third year now of the program, and it's 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 um, it's been a successful program so far. And it was partly about finding people who are in the technology space, looking to you know who had who were encountering barriers, whether financial or uh, otherwise. And and so we would find those folks both in South Carolina, where are some of our U.S. offices are, and in in Ontario, where some of our Canadian offices are. Um, and find those those students and support them financially. But also over the course of a year, we would pair them with, um, you know, uh, rowers, as we call them, our reason one colleagues, uh, pair them with a rower. And um, we would, uh, you know, support them with whatever journey they were on, whether that was uh, looking for a job, navigating the job market, uh, whether that was uh, being a student for the first time, um looking for internships, whatever it might be. We were there for the year. And then we've maintained relationships after that. And, you know, uh, we're not going to change the whole industry by any stretch, right? We're just, we're, we're playing in our, in our pond here and, and making the impact we can, but we hope what we're doing will also have a ripple effect uh, and other agencies will follow suit. You've had, uh, I would suspect that you've had a um, really powerful effect on some young lives. Yeah, it's, um, it's it's really amazing actually what is amazing is that you know you would think well because when we when there's an ignorance about a problem and you look at the stats and you have you don't really understand what's behind those numbers why is this right um and the biggest eye-opener was just that was the how much talent was there in the black community in Canada and the U S um, and that it was the industry barriers that were preventing all this amazing talent from really um, showing up in the industry. And so we met just some amazing people who were like everybody, right? All humans. We, we all have our, SHIT that we're dealing with. Uh, we all, we all carrying baggage, right? Anybody don't believe social media, right? We all have it. But the, but the, 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 the things that they were carrying and still achieving, still persevering was amazing. And so that was just the most rewarding thing was getting to meet some of the candidates uh, and, and, uh, and also work with some of the, the mentees, um, just, um, you know, humans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, as I as just watching you, I can see how moved you are by this and by the work that you've done. Yeah. And has that been an experience that's been shared throughout the company? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, um, what's the phrase I, I always love to say? Um, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. Um. And I think, you know, in, in this particular case, the, the reason one mentorship and scholarship program, there were people um, who stayed at reason one who may have otherwise left. Right. And we have a lot of turnover in the past few years. Right. Who left because of the investments we're making there. 
or because of the work that we do in the types of organizations that we work with, or because of the way that we, as a B Corp, care for our people, because of the equity and pay that we that we create, because of so many different things that we, where our values turn into action, turn into the way that we operate, the way that we show up. And I think um, that has impacted our team. And ironically, we were uh, in a, um, we had festive Fridays at work uh, and, you know, um, on, a, on occasion, and we'll do like a, a gratitude moment where everybody kind of shares stories and how they're, how they're doing and, and what they're grateful for. And just the, the vulnerability, the, um, the way people feel supported and seen and, you know, it, it, uh, it makes for, it's why I'm excited. It's why I, to, to your earlier question, it's why I'm still doing this 23 years later. It's because of the people. And if you can create an environment where people are valued and people first, um, it's amazing the things that they'll, they can achieve and that they'll do for the business and for themselves. And it's anyway, I'm kind of rambling here, but it's, uh, uh, you're, yeah. you're, you're touching on the really important point that I don't think that a lot of leaders get and that it's the importance of having an emotionally and psychologically safe place for people to come to. Yeah. And it sounds to me like that's what you've created. Yeah. And so, and we know from uh, Google, Google study that took 10 years that the highest performing teams at Google have psychological and emotional safety. Yeah. And teams that don't have that, they don't work. They're dysfunctional. And you've created it pro- probably without thinking about it. No, but- it was, it's actually in whatever, if you look at our, like okay, our, good. one of our, like, um, um, value like statements, our, 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 like VTO or, you know, vision traction organizer, whatever is, you know, EO sort of like it, it, one of our statements is about creating a psychologically safe and inclusive work environment. Right. It's, it was written out and it's something we've been working on, but, but I, I, I say all that, like, we still have so much to go. We're not perfect. We, you know, uh, I'm sure we, I know we get it wrong on occasion, um, but it's a journey. And, uh, and we've got, you know, we've got, um, as a business, one of the things that we invested in was a, a VP of people. And she's been amazing in um, helping us set that, making sure that our, we live our values out um, and um, that we're following you know, our actions match our words. It's so refreshing to hear that you have a VP of people who is not all about compliance, that is there to figure out how do we create an environment where people can thrive. Yeah. I mean, compliance is important. Oh, I mean, look, HR hat and vision. They're like, there's a, there's, there's definitely a a balancing act there. But still the fact that you've got somebody who is able to figure out how do we create it? How do we comply, but also create, an environment that where where our people feel welcome and safe and like they can really grow is that's really yeah. powerful yeah. and it's unusual. Oh. Good, good job. Thanks. One more question, I'll let you go. All right. So you spent your first part of your life studying trombone <laughs> <laughs> and playing trombone. So we know about that. But what's one other thing about you, Ben, that we would not know about unless you revealed it to us? Um Gosh, uh, I think um, I'm a, I don't know, I, I love to whistle. That's kind of random. 
<laughs> you get an opportunity to do that much? <laughs> uh, well, not if my wife has anything to say about it. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good excuse to take the dog out for a walk then, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. 100%. All right, then. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was just a wonderful conversation. All right. Thank you, Doug. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.